Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it, church. God is trying to do something special in this house. Amen. Before we get into, before we get into the word today. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your power, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. God, we set ourselves aside, Lord. Let your word fall on good ground today, Lord Jesus. Let my mind be good ground. Let my heart be good ground, Lord, for your word today. Let it not go by the wayside. And let it not just go through one ear and out the other, Lord Jesus. But let me receive and let me learn, God. Let me hold this precious truth, God, by which that you will release today in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. It's great to be in the house of God today. It is Easter Sunday. It is Resurrection Sunday. Amen. I am so excited to be in the midst of what God is doing. Amen. We're here in the midst of what God is doing. And not only is he here, but I want to be here with him. I want to be here understanding what God's trying to do in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. We, uh, last week we broke down, really we're going through the principles of what our foundation is with Christ. That's what we've been breaking down the past five, six uh, weeks here at Eastgate for our Sunday school. We've been breaking down our foundations to a level just past what the surface is. Amen. There's a, uh, there's a surface level understanding of everything, amen? But surface level is only going to get us a surface level God. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's just going to give us a surface level of what God is trying to do in your life. And I want to tell everybody in Eastgate today and whoever may be listening online or whatever, God wants you to go past the surface, amen? They have this thing called uh, the iceberg and it's ideas, but there's how an iceberg sits is most of it sits underwater. Amen. So we have to break the iceberg of the word of God down to be under, to understand the depths of the word of God. Amen. I've opened with this scripture for the last three Sundays, but I want to go over it once again as we continue in these foundations. Amen. And it is Hebrews 6. One and two, and it says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of the doctrine of baptisms and on the laying on of the hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Amen. As we explore these principles we're really ex experiencing and understanding what the doctrine of Christ is, amen? And that is what our foundation is. If you go back to Hebrews 5 and 12, we talk about how uh, if we don't have a foundation, if we don't have something to settle on, we're just gonna try to relay that foundation over and over and over again, and we're only able to consume it to a surface level. Yeah, you can go ahead and sit down, please. <laughs> Still getting over my, my sickness that I've been dealing with this week. But by the grace of God, I am here. I might cough a little bit, but he's still good. Amen. <laughs> so today we're, 
beginning the second half on what the doctrine of baptisms are. If we look at that um, word there in, for doctrine of baptisms, we see it's a, it's a plural of baptisms. There's two different baptisms in, in Scripture. And last week, we broke down in depth what water baptism was and how it was administered and how the church administers water baptism. Amen. And we saw not only is it a means of, uh, of our faith, of course, baptism is a, a means of our faith, but it's also a requirement. God requires baptism, not only of water, but I want to open the idea today of baptism in the Spirit. Amen. So not only is there a water baptism aspect, but we also have to be, what did we learn that baptism was? Immersed submerged. So not only do we have to be baptized in water, but we also have to be fully submerged by the Spirit of God. So let's go back to, uh, will you pull up slide two for me? Let's talk about spirit baptism. Amen. John 3, uh, 3 through 8 is really the basis of where we get um, the ideology that we have to be baptized, not only in water, but with the Spirit. Uh, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in, uh, to, uh, into his mother womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And I want to focus on this portion of the scripture. And it says, uh, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. And this is the focus today as we move on to spirit baptism. But let's read what this says. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Can somebody read this slide for me? Will you pull John 3 and 8 back up again? This is how the Spirit of God is administered to people. But not only that, it's to everyone who is born of the Spirit. Amen? So what happens? What is going on here? Amen? You know, uh, he tells us everyone who is born of the Spirit, not only are they partaking of something, but they're birthed into this thing that, ha that is happening. Amen. And let me, why is the Spirit of God for everybody? Let me tell you this. You have to enter into his kingdom in order to experience it. You have to enter into his kingdom to understand uh, what aspect by means that God is saying, well, you have to be born of water and of spirit to even, what does he say? See the kingdom of God, amen? So not only do you have to be born first of both of those things, but that is what enables you to not only see, 
but to enter into the kingdom of God after we're born of water and born of spirit. Amen. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Has anybody, I've been married for uh, almost five years now. Has anybody else been married? Living with your significant other is great, whatever. But once you're given in marriage, you're able to experience things that you've never experienced before. You are able to experience things that you've, you've never been able to experience until that covenant was placed. You weren't ex able to experience certain things until you got married to your significant other, amen? And let me tell you this, when we're born again, we are sealing the covenant by which God gave Abraham and said, this is my promise unto you. Guess what? When we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, we are now taking part spiritually in the same covenant that God gave Abraham in the book of Genesis. Amen. So now we're taking part of a beautiful covenant. Amen. Think about your marriage. You have to be married to experience the, the things that marriage gives. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. We have to be born again in order to see, in order to enter in. We have to be born again. So this is something that has to take place in order for us to experience it. Amen. It's not just a given. It, just, it doesn't happen when you just believe. There has to be a birthing process of something happening. Amen. It's not just a, well, I believed in Jesus Christ. Well, now I'm going to be saved just because I believe. Let me tell you this. Obedience is much more important than what you say. Obedience is much more important than uh, just having the uh, lip service of something. Amen. Let's go back to, to John 3 and 8. Will you put that up there? With our understanding of how important it is to, to have the Spirit. How, what happens when we get the Spirit of God? John 3 and 8 tells us, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it comes or whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Last week we went over, and the week before that, a lot of Greek and Hebrew terms. We're going to do that today as well, praise God. If you have Blue Letter Bible, you're welcome to search along with me. But I want to go to the word pneuma, amen. I'm going to pull that up there. Can somebody read this for me? You don't have to try to say that, but <laughs> you can say the transliteration in English, amen. So we see something interesting here. Will you pull up John 3 and 8 once again so we can look at that as we study that word? John 
uh, 3 and 8, it says spirit used as a genitive term. So a genitive term, it means that it's possessed or it's held by somebody else. So what do we know here? This wind and spirit, not only is uh, the, the term here, spirit is talking about the spirit of God. But pneuma can also be used for wind, and it's talking about the literal wind as a noun, amen? It's describing something. So the wind itself is moving. It's a thing. It's something that happens. And so we can use the wind as a type for the spirit, amen? So that's what he's talking about here. That's why he used the same word, pneuma, for wind and spirit. So we get the idea that, well, I'm talking about the spirit here. It's not just some uh, uh, metaf giant metaphor for some crazy idea. Well, he's just talking about the spirit of God. So let's think about that. So the spirit bloweth where it wants to. The Spirit of God is moving where it wants. But not only that, you hear a sound thereof. Has anybody ever uh, been woken up by the wind in the middle of the night? I have multiple times where you hear the wind slamming and pushing stuff, and, and not only you can't tell where that comes from, but it makes a sound when it appears. The wind makes a noise when it appears so much like uh, our understanding of how wind works, not only is that wind, but it's spirit. The spirit makes a noise through a means by which it's moving into, okay? So uh, let's look at this. Let's, uh, what is an Old Testament reference for that? We know that God is honorable in his word, so not only does the spirit have to move, but it also makes a sound. How, how is that so? Well, in Genesis 1 and 2, if you want to pull that up, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Who is this Spirit? Let me tell you this, it doesn't say Holy Spirit or third person in the Trinity. It says that God moved on the face of the waters. One thing I think about the, the debate between Trinitarian and oneness is if there were going to be uh, Trinitarian ideas or, or uh, terms used, it would have said the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. Right? Right? No, it says God moved upon the face of the waters. And who is this spirit? Amen. It's God who moved. John 4 and 24 says that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. So God in the beginning reveals how he moves. He moves as breath or wind to do what? Not only to, to just move, but he's getting our attention. We're seeing God do something in creation when he moves. So not only is he moving, amen, but there's something happening to the water. There's something happening uh, after uh, he moves into something, amen. It says that the Spirit of God moved, and then guess what? Guess what happened after when God moved? Will you put up verse 3? Verse 
Genesis 1 and verse 3. Thank you, Jesus. And God said, he spoke, and he said, let there be light. And there was light. Before God spoke, there had to be the ability, amen, to speak. Pastor brought this up a couple weeks ago. God created a language so not did only God speak, but he moved by creating the language first to mingle and talk with that creation. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same, the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. Amen? So as he moved in creation of the language, he then spoke, but then created something. He created something beautiful, which is the light. Amen? So let's go back to John 3 and 8. So we see the wind is blowing, and it's doing what it wants to. The Spirit of God is moving, and what did we see God did in the beginning? We, say, we see that God moved, and then what did he do? He spoke. And then through the speaking, what happened? A change happened. Creation happened after the means that the voice was spoken or that the, you could hear the effect of the Spirit. Amen? Can you pull up John 3 and 8 for me? <clears throat> so the wind blew and it, and it went where it wanted. Amen? But we hear the sound. We blew up the word uh, pneuma, but let's look at what the word for sound is. Can somebody read this for me? What, what does that look like first before I do anything? Yeah, absolutely. So can somebody read phone A for me? Every time your phone rings, there's something special that happens. It's something letting you know that somebody's trying to get a hold of you or that something is happening on your phone, okay? Much like the wind, the spirit manifests itself as a sound, as a phone or a phone, amen? How do we measure wind? We can measure it two ways, by sound or by how it affects its surrounding. So you see, uh, you can have a, a speaker measuring how fast the wind is moving, but not only is, uh, that's the most accurate way to detect how fast uh, wind is moving is by sound rather than it affecting 
the, uh, the, the physical aspect of something. It, it reverberates that speaker in a way by which it can hear it the best. What's the sound here? What is this specific sound? Because, I mean, there has to be a specific sound. We go back to John 3 and 8. So what is the sign that you've received? The Spirit of God. There has to be a sound that accompanies when God has moved on you. So it's going to create a sound, but not only that, it's going to change you. Okay? So God comes upon us. And when it manifests itself, it says that there's a sound that comes out. There is, we just read that there's evidence or a sound when it comes, just like the wind, amen? So where's the scriptural precedent for this? Where in the Bible does it say that there's a sound that comes after somebody receives the Spirit? Why don't we read it? The Bible tells us. I mean, we don't sit here and have logical fallacies of things in, in our uh, relationship with God or even our understanding of the Word of God. With The, the Bible says in uh, uh, Proverbs 4 and 7, to, with all I get in, get understanding. We have to understand the Word of God for ourselves. We can't be living in a, in a means by logical fallacies. We cannot be living in a means of not being, under, uh, not being able to understand why and how that we believe something. Let me tell you this, obedience is so great. Even if you don't understand why we do it, obedience is amazing. But when you get revelation, stuff changes, amen? I've, been, I've prayed for uh, people to receive the Holy Ghost and they sit there for an hour trying to receive the Holy Ghost, but you stop them and you say, hey, do you know why you're doing this? Do you know why you're praying? Do you know what the Holy Ghost is? Do you have understanding of what this is? And they say, no. And then you tell them and boom, they get the Holy Ghost immediately. Why? Because they have understanding for themselves. And that's what we're doing here today. Amen. We got to know what the scripture says about the Holy Ghost. We cannot just go off of our emotions or feelings. Amen. So let's see what the Bible says. Mark 16 14 through 17 says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. So who is they? It's the people that were baptized and that believed. And what was the evidence that they had received that? Or what happened? What was the sign following? What were we just talking about? The Spirit of God moved. It came upon somebody and there was a noise. Okay? What is a language? That's a noise. Let me tell you that. Uh, I have a wife and she likes to talk. And that's a language. Amen? And so let me tell you this. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But guess what? 
They shall speak with new tongues. Amen. That sure sounds like a noise to me. So what does it say? Can somebody read this for me? That's what the Bible says. If you've been taught different, if you've heard other things, that's okay. But let me tell you this. The Bible tells us that there's a sound that comes when you receive the Spirit. It doesn't say just believe and you get the Spirit. It says that there's a process. There's something happening when we receive the Holy Ghost. There has to be God moving. There's evidence of that by maybe tears or or whatever may be going on. You know, you can see the Spirit of God moving, but not only that, you can feel it. Just like the wind, you can feel the Spirit of God moving. While you're praying for that person and you lay your hand on their head, they begin to speak in a language that they've never learned before. Uh, People say it's heavenly language, whatever. I bet it's a language that I don't know. I bet it's a language that only God knows as well because there's evidence for both in the Bible. It's not just some gibberish. But that sure sounds like a sound to me. New tongues is the sound that you're going to hear when somebody receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I've prayed for seven-year-old little girls who don't even barely understand what sin is, but they were able to repent and they were able to ask God, forgive me for my sins, Lord, all the things that I've ever done bad. And as soon as they're done repenting and they're done focusing on everything else, they begin to speak with tongues as the Spirit of God has gave them utterance and it is so beautiful. They don't know Trinitarian doctrine. They don't know what other people say, but you see it right in front of your face. This little girl who, who... Uh, does not know nothing else but besides that Jesus is infilling her at that moment. How beautiful is that? And not only that, but you see a change as evident by, we just read John 3 and 8, the wind moved, God moved in the beginning, right? So now we hear the sound, the, the spirit now is manifested in them and guess what happens? Creation happens. Creation happens when you receive the Holy Ghost and not only is it creation, but it's that God has now became, uh, now God is inside of you and now you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's do, uh, so let's go to this idea. What's the sound? What's the Bible say? What accounts are there in the Bible that this has happened? Let me tell you, there are accounts of this in the Bible. So what do we use as a doctrine? We have to have scriptural ability to prove it. 
We can't just go with an idea. We can't just say, well, I believe in this or I believe in that. Well, what does the scripture say? Can you show me that? Can you show me what the Bible says about it? And here, let me show you what I think the Bible says. Let's see what the Bible says for itself. And then uh, I'm not sure if anybody's had a Bible study with somebody who may have believed somebody else, but you let them read the word of God for themselves and it comes out of their mouth. They're like, well, that's the truth. But that's why it's so important <clears throat> for us to allow ourselves to get out of the way before we hear the word of God. That's why it's so important for us to not uh, allow the word to go by the wayside. So let's, let's get understanding with what the word of God says. Let's, tradition's great. I mean, tradition's okay. That, that stuff's okay. If we're not doing what the Bible says, it's wrong. So let's do what the Bible says. Amen. So what does the Bible say about the sound? And what does it say about that being tongues? Amen. Let's look at what the Bible says. You want to pull up Acts 2, 1 through 4 for me? It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like the same exact language that we just read in John 3 and 8? God's not going to return himself void. He's going to do what he said. So it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, and, with, uh, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. <laughs> Come on, you can't argue that. John 3 and 8, Acts 2, 1 through 4, it uses literally the same exact language. The words that are used are the same exact words that Jesus used in John 3 and 8. We see movement. We see wind. We see sounds. We see light. Not only that, but we understand that God is that spirit. So God gives us the utterance through the Spirit to speak in another language, and it is the utterance by which that we speak through the Spirit, by which is God. We go back to Genesis 1 and 2. What happened? The Spirit moved, then He spoke. So He's speaking through those whom He has filled with the Spirit. How? By a language. So now we see that as a repeating thing throughout the New Testament. Every time somebody receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, they speak with other tongues. Praise God. Acts 2 and 4. Will you pull that up for me? And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what happened? Can somebody read that? They spoke with tongues. And followed that was Peter preaching 
to the Jews, like Pastor brought up last week, and this is the altar call in Acts. In the book of Acts, this is the altar call that's happening. So what happens when somebody generally receives the Holy Ghost? It's at an altar. It's at a place of sacrifice. It's at a place by which they've never been before. So they're dying to themselves. They're, they're at a point to saying, what do I do now with my life, God? You know, you just changed me by your word. I just heard something that I've never heard before. And now I feel this conviction and I feel this heaviness and I feel responsibility for, for allowing Jesus to go to the cross. So what do I do now? And Peter preaches, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Ghost. And that is for who? What did John 3 and 8 say? It says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And guess what Acts 2 and 38 says? This gift is for everybody. This is for everybody. This is for you. This is for me. This is for the guy standing on the, the, the guy on the street. This is for the guy that the homeless guy is sitting in his bungalow doing fentanyl. That's the reality of it. This is for everybody. In Acts 2, 41 through 42, after Peter was done preaching, the altar call was given. Amen. This was all in the same day. So they received the Holy Ghost in the same day. Then Peter preaches the Acts 2, 38 message in the same day. And then guess how many souls were added to the kingdom? But how do we know that the souls were added? How? They that gladly received his word were baptized. Does that mean just water? What do we learn? There's two baptisms. We learn not only were they water baptized, but they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And that's what enabled the, not only the disciples, but enables us to know that they're now a part of the kingdom of God by it saying that they were baptized because they already believed. Why? Because they were convicted when, when Peter was preaching to them. They said, well, what do we do now that we believe that we crucified Jesus Christ? What do we do now? And he says, well, you need to do this. And they said, okay, I'm going to do it. And they received the word that Peter preached and obeyed what Peter asked of them. But not only Peter, but God himself asked of his people. This isn't just a, a work. Being baptized or receiving the Holy Ghost is not a work. When you look at the scripture and it says work, that's a work of the law. It's not a work of the law. I'm just obedient to what God says. What saved Abraham? Obedience. What saved Moses? Obedience. What saved Noah? Obedience. This is a means of obedience. It's not a means of a, uh, a requirement. This isn't a means of of uh, some man telling you that you need to take part in this. This is God himself saying, you need to be a part of my kingdom. I've made every way for you to be a part of my kingdom. So here's my word. And I'm going to give you a preacher to preach the word of God to you. And I'm going to have somebody in the foolishness be able to preach to you something that they themselves could never fulfill. But he loves us so much. And he says here, I want you to be a part of my kingdom. And the only requirement is dying to yourself, dying in water, and being resurrected just as I was when I resurrected on Resurrection Sunday. Acts uh, 40, uh, that's wrong. Uh, 
Uh, let me see this. Acts 2, 44 through 48. Uh, actually, that's 10, 44 through 48, sorry. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, for as many came with Peter, because on that the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How? For they heard them speak with tongues and do what else? Magnify God. And then what's Peter's response? Can any man forbid them water now? Can any man uh, forbid them that they should not be baptized, which had received the Holy Ghost just as we did in the beginning? Oh, what did Peter just say there? They received the Holy Ghost just as we did. They spoke with tongues. But here, does it say that they spoke in a different language that was able to be understood? No. Next week, I'm going to get into that, how there's a difference between tongues and uh, tongues in the spiritual gift that God gives us, but there's also a difference between the initial filling of the Holy Ghost and when we initially receive the Holy Ghost, that is a means by which we now have communication with God in private, in a place where we're by ourselves or we might be in the church. And if, if you've ever heard, oh, oh you can't speak in tongues because you're supposed to keep silence in the church. That word silence there doesn't mean to literally keep quiet, but it means to bring it down a level. Okay? So, What's the evidence that somebody has received the Holy Ghost? Somebody say it. Speaking in tongues. Acts 19, 4 through 7 says, And then Paul, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, we went over this last week. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they what? Spake with tongues and prophesied. When the Holy Ghost had came upon the disciples of John, not only were they rebaptized, but they were rebaptized two times by the glorious gift, amen, that was promised by John, in the book of John, by Jesus. How awesome is that? I mean, this is the Bible. This is the Bible way by somebody who receives the Holy Ghost. This isn't some mantra that is, is taught by some creeds or confessions. This is what the Bible says, and this is how we look at the Word of God. How do we do that? Well, we broke down the Word of God. We, we broke it down to an aspect where we are able to pull the iceberg depths out of the Word of God, and we're able to see in the Word of God in a means that we generally cannot see besides the surface-level means of viewing the Word of God. Amen. Can somebody read this for me, please? Change accompanies the Oregon experience. God moved, spoke, and created. The Spirit moved, He spoke through us, and changed us through the new earth. Amen. As I mentioned before, 
following the new birth experience, God gives us something that changes us forever. This is something that changes the way you think, the way you talk. It's this thing called sanctification is a process that takes place after we receive the Spirit. And sanctification is just moving into a place called holiness, where we're moving into, where we're uh, allowing the Spirit of God inside of us. We're moving into His image, amen? Not only is it it's uh, the Spirit of God in us, but it's Christ in us. He's literally abiding in us. And as we walk in the Spirit, like Paul says, we'll slowly, we'll move into a place, amen, where we're starting to be chiseled and, and uh, manipulated into the image that God has created for his people to take part in. And who's that? What's the image? Jesus Christ. He came not only as a man to show us how to live, but he came as God himself. Amen. So we'll go back to Old Testament. Uh, what is the Old Testament reference that we are changed after God breathes on us or that, that, we, that we receive the Spirit of God? Amen. We look at uh, Abram again in Genesis. Before Abram became Abraham, Abram was a, a man who sought after God. His, but his family wasn't uh, was would his father made idols. He was married to a barren woman, and it took God calling out Abraham and asked him to do what? Leave his home in obedience to what God had asked him to do. God is asking us to do something different today. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to die to me and to take on him. What did God ask Abram? The very same thing. He said, Abram, I need you to leave your house. <laughs> well, Pastor breaks that down beautifully, just talking about a house and how we have to destroy ourselves in repentance. Not only are we changing the way that we think, but we're destroying what was previously laid. Amen. And we see Abram in that very same place. Amen. And as Abram was in the pursuit of obeying God, he had made his covenant with God. God made a covenant with him. And he said, Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And added unto him something that we all need. We all need the Holy Ghost. We all need the Spirit of God. And how, how did Abram... Abram goes to Abraham. God added something special to his name. He added this, this letter, which is called Hey. Will you put that Hey slide up? Can somebody read this for me? beautiful is that God literally added the breath of God when Abram was changed to Abraham oh it's just a one time occurrence no Sarah Sarai her name was changed to Sarah but understand this it took taking something out of Sarai 
in order to add something that God wanted to place in Sarai to make her become Sarah. And what did he take out? He, ta- he took, he, uh, as Sarai means a leader who does great deeds with honor. And Sarah means the leader who inspires awe and revelation. So God took away her beholding. God took away the glory that she tried for herself. But guess what God gave her? The hay. He gave her the breath. He changed her name. And now he's taken away her honor and glory, but giving her the breath of God and giving God glory through that revelation in who he is by taking on what God had given her, but taking away herself. We have to change. There is something that takes place when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost by evidence of speaking in other tongues as a spirit of God gives the utterance. This is what's going to happen. You are going to change. But not only are you going to change, it's a beautiful change. You become a new creature in Christ. As Galatians says, but I want to close with this. Uh, Let's stand. It's Colossians 1, 26 through 27. It says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom that God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is it? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in us no longer is the Spirit His, but when we're in Christ, He's literally abiding in us. Just like Abram, just like Sarah, He now adds a hay to us. He now breathes on us. And now we're able by His covering, by the covenant, to move into the promise that God has given us through the new birth experience. Amen. This new birth experience is what we need to enter into his kingdom. We have understood repentance. We have understood the gift. We have understood faith. We have understood the understanding of water baptism. And now we have the understanding of spirit baptisms, or we could say the doctrine of baptisms. Amen. And where do we move on from here? Where do we go? Hebrews says the laying on of hands. In these next couple weeks, uh, if something doesn't change, I want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. I want to, next week I want to break down uh, some ideologies against speaking in tongues. I want to, to bring light uh, some uh, things and differentiations between uh, the gift of tongues and uh, receiving the Holy Ghost or praying in tongues as God gives us the utterance. Amen. But you have to have the Holy Ghost in order to move in the gifts. You have to have the Holy Ghost in order to operate in the gifts that God has given. What happens? It says they spoke with tongues and prophesied. It says they spoke in tongues and magnified God. They spoke in tongues and then something else was imparted into them. And what was that? What did we learn? It was change. Change came. But not only that, it was the creation of God. Just as he created everything, he moved. He spoke. And guess what? Now he's doing a new creation 
inside of us, just as he did in Genesis 1 and 2, or 1 and 3 with the light. Praise God. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for revelation. I thank you, God, for being able to break down the walls of, of misunderstanding and, and breaking down the, the, the walls of misunderstanding, God, by which now we're able to move and to operate, God, in a means by which that you've never allowed us to because of a lack of understanding. But I'm grateful, Lord. I'm grateful, Lord, for understanding. I'm grateful for being able to move in your, your understanding, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to take this word. Help us, Lord, to take this and, and study it for ourselves, for, to get ourselves an understanding of what your word says. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's give him a hand.